Ladies and gentlemen, this is the 100th episode in our ongoing series on the proper distinction between law and gospel. The 100th episode. That means I have given you close to a hundred hours of teaching on the proper distinction between law and gospel. So I think we have to do something kind of special, right? Good evening, everyone, and welcome to a special episode of our ongoing series where we are discussing the proper distinction between law and gospel. We're calling this Understanding Law and Gospel, and this is a special episode. Did I say special issue? Welcome to a special episode of our ongoing series, Understanding Law and Gospel, because this is the 100th episode, and it is occurring on this Saturday, August the 26th, 2023 at 7.09 p.m. Central Time. Now, in some ways, I I didn't really want to do the the special music. I didn't really want to do anything. I didn't even really want to mention it, but I kind of mentioned it in the last episode that this was going to be the 100th episode. So it's like, hey, we've got to say something, but in another way... (sighs) Not really, because we're, we're, we're just kind of right in the middle of reviewing an episode of Issues ETC, right? They're covering the sixth, the sixth theses, the sixth thesis on the proper distinction between law and gospel, uh, written by CFW Walther in the book God's No and God's Yes. They've made it to the sixth, sixth thesis. And we, we started reviewing their, their discussion of it. And so now we just have another small segment to look at. So it's not like we've reached a dramatic turning point. It's not like we've reached a dramatic conclusion. So, but at the same time, it's the 100th episode. So like, I don't know. I'm kind of conflicted. Like it's the 100th episode. On the other hand, it's, well, it's just business as usual. It's just another episode, but it's the 100th. Yeah. But. You're just reviewing audio from Issues ETC, which is what you've been doing. And 
I mean, you've already introduced the sixth thesis. You've already discussed it. You've already talked about it a little bit. So this is, there's nothing new starting here. There's no, there's no major turning point. There's no, you, you haven't reached some dramatic conclusion, but yet it's the 100th episode. So I'm somewhat conflicted. Should I be excited? Well, I, this is how I feel. 100 episodes represents a lot of work. Whether all of the episodes have been good, whether all the episodes have been bad, whether I call it episode or issue, whether I made a mistake in speaking or not, no matter what, it represents a lot of hard, hard, hard work. When you dedicate, well, definitely over a hundred hours of your life trying to help people understand the proper distinction between law and gospel, at least that impacts me. For you, it's just content. It's just like, oh, open up the app, hit play. You probably don't give it much thought. You probably, some of you may have not even realized, wow, a hundred episodes. It may not even mean anything to you, but to me, that's 100 hours of my life that I've dedicated to this one subject because I think it's that important. So hopefully someone out there has benefited from all of this work and hopefully more people will discover it and they will benefit as well. But since we're on the sixth thesis from the book, God's knowing God's yes, let me read it, right? We've already, we've already introduced it. We've already listened to what they had to say on issues ETC about it, but let's, let's uh, consider it one more time. In the second place, the word of God is not rightly divided when the law is not preached in its full sternness and the gospel not in its full sweetness. When, on the contrary, gospel elements are mingled with the law and law elements with the gospel. When that happens, you're not rightly dividing the word of truth and you're corrupting the gospel. And in many ways, you're corrupting the law. I mean, you've got to keep them separate. You cannot mingle them. You cannot mingle some elements of the law into the gospel and some gospel elements into the law. They have to be distinct. They have to, we have to rightly divide the word of truth and they've got to be preached in the correct way. The law with all of its sternness and the gospel with all of its sweetness. That's the basic thesis. Thesis number six. And God's no and God's yes to proper distinction between law and gospel. Now, we're going to go back to issues ETC that we've listened to the first segment. Now they went to a commercial break. They come out of the commercial break. Now they're going to do the second segment. Remember, these segments are short. They're relatively small. It doesn't take a lot of time, but we're doing it this way for refresher, for reminder to reinforce these principles so that ultimately we can move on to things we have not covered as of yet. And hopefully you're benefiting from it now. I would challenge you, subscribe to the Issues ETC podcast. Please subscribe to the Issues ETC podcast. I'm begging you to subscribe to it and listen to everything they had to say without my analysis and my critique. And you can consider, obviously, you have seen that there are times I strongly disagree with their approach, strongly disagree and take us in a different direction. And the reason I strongly disagree is I believe people have a very hard time being consistent to the proper distinction between law and gospel. And when I feel like that they are deviating from that proper distinction, well, then I'm, I'm going to say something because I think maintaining that proper distinction is of the utmost importance theologically. And I think it's of the utmost importance to protect the gospel. So we don't basically end up back in Rome. 
because that's where I feel the evangelical church has so corrupted the justific- uh, the doctrine of justification by an imputed righteousness and have so infused it with law that it basically looks like the gospel coming from Rome. But they will not understand it and will not recognize it because they're all they're using the right words. But using the right words and then contradicting those right words with your elaborate understanding of how salvation works and, oh, you got to do this or you do this or you prove you're not saved. You bring in all of this works element. It's not my fault that you've, you're contradicting what you say. You say the right words about justification, but then when you take those right words away, and you basically give people law, 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 law. Someone has to say something. So that's what we've tried to do. But are you ready? Let's finish our review of this segment. Remember, these segments are short. We're only reviewing the parts between the commercials and they go by relatively fast. So this one may be a little longer, but it's probably still maybe probably no more than 15 minutes. So here we go. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. Pastor Will Whedon of The Word of the Lord Endures Forever is our guest. It's part six of our series on the proper distinction between law and gospel. The next stopping place he has is with Christ's own words in Matthew chapter 5, beginning at verse 17. Yeah, I love this section. Matthew 5, 17 to 19. Do not think, Jesus said, that I have come to abolish, to get rid of, the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them but to fulfill them, that is to keep them. Verse 18, for truly I say to you until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. 19, therefore whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So Walter comments on this. When you are preaching the law, you must ever bear in mind that the law makes no concessions. That is utterly beside the character of the law. It only makes demands. The law says, you must do this. If you fail to do it, you have no recourse to the patience, loving kindness, and long-suffering of God. You will have to go to perdition for your wrongdoing. To make this point quite plain to us, our Lord says, Whoever shall break one of these least commandments and teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. And then he clarifies, that does not mean he shall have the lowest place assigned to him in heaven, but that he does not belong to the kingdom of heaven at all. So that's a powerful, strong statement there. And Walter just wants to drive that home. When you're preaching, you know that you're mixing them up. If you're preaching the law that has some sort of mitigation attached to it, usually attached to it by way of our intention. Well, you know, as long as you try, as long as you really wanted to do the right thing and so on. And this shows up in many theologies where they say, hey, your good actions prove that you're saved. Well, but but I'm never going to be perfect. Well, it's not it's not perfection. It's direction. As long as you no, no, no. The law doesn't say go in the right direction. The law says achieve perfection. So if you're going to compare your life to the law to somehow prove that you're saved, all you're going to see is that, well, you don't deserve to be saved and you're lost and you fall short and you fail any test that anyone gives you. Therefore, you have no assurance of salvation. But Christ came to keep the law. He fulfilled everything. Every 
bit of it. Not one single element did he not fulfill. And by faith, his fulfillment of the law is accredited to your account. So your assurance comes from the finished work of Christ, his obedience, not your obedience. When you look to your obedience to give you assurance of salvation, you, you should immediately know something is wrong because what, if you're looking to your obedience for assurance of salvation, then what was the point of Christ fulfilling the law and dying for you? Your hope for salvation is not what you do, can do, should do, may do, but that Christ did it all for you. That is the, the law says, be perfect. You say, woe is me. I am undone. I'm a man of unclean lips, of unclean hands. I cannot do it. And the law is like, oh, no, we know you can't do it. You're guilty. And you're like, I am guilty. Christ says, but I did it for you. And by faith in him, then that is imputed to your account. Therefore, you are set free from the condemnation of the law. The law still remains, right? The law still says, do this, but Christ has done it for you. So your hope is in the finished work of Christ. And what's the point of bringing up Galatians chapter 3.10, all who rely on works of the law are under a curse? Yeah, because that's the point. If you're trusting in the works of the law, you're under a curse because it is written. This is what the law says. Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. This is very similar, I think, to uh, the passage in James that says, you know, if you keep the law in all points but one and you break it at that one point, you've broken the whole thing. That's the point. You're a lawbreaker if you break any of it. And so cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Walter comments on that. If you direct men to do good works and for their comfort, try to add a remark like this, you should indeed be perfect. However, God does not demand the impossible from us. Do what you can in your weakness. Only be sincere in your intention. I say, if you would speak thus, you would be preaching a damnable doctrine, for that is a shameful corruption of the law. God never spoke that way from Sinai. Everything inside of us wants to mitigate. I mean, there's something, you see the law crushing somebody, you want, everything inside of you as a human being wants to mitigate it in some way, to say, well, you know, but, 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 and it's like, there is no but, 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 not with the law. It just lays out what is to be, and God doesn't compromise in his law with human weakness at all, at any point. He also warns the prospective preachers of law and gospel that, well, he says, do not rant about horrible vices that are running wild in your congregation. Continual ranting will prove useless. What's the problem there? Yeah. Well, that's after I think he's dealt with Romans seven fourteen. We know the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. So this is what he really wants to drive home here, that the law is spiritual. So when a minister preaches the law, he needs to remember that he is to preach its spiritual use. It works on the spirit not on some members of the body. It's directed to the spirit of man, to his will, to his heart, to what he loves. That's the way it operates in every instance. So that's why he says continual ranting proves useless. Hey, people may quit the practices they've been reproved of, but give them two weeks 
and they're back to their old ways again. You must indeed testify with great earnestness against transgressions of God's commandments, but you must also tell the people, even if you were to quit your habitual cursing, your swearing, and the like, that would not make you Christians. You might go to hell for all of that. God's concerned about the attitude in your heart. You may explain this matter with the utmost composure, he says, but you must state it quite plainly. This is exactly what, uh, in that famous sermon by Jonathan Edwards, Sinners in the Hand of an Angry God, the accounts of how he delivered it, he wasn't looking at the people. He had his manuscript in front of him and his eyes were on his manuscript. And he spoke without a trace of emotion. He just laid it out. And the people were freaking. I mean, they, 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 they were crying out in the congregation as this word of law just struck them down dead. That's what Walter is encouraging us to do here, to make sure that we preach the law beyond the, the, the mere physical illustration of keeping it to its spiritual application, which is what, if you want to understand what that means, then you have to turn to the Sermon on the Mount, which is what Walter proposes to do next. Because there you'll see Jesus take up commandment after commandment and show that an external keeping is not what God was ever after. The external keeping needs to be joined to a spiritual keeping in the heart. He kind of illustrates with the fifth commandment. And he says, you know, that's not merely not sticking a knife in somebody. It's not merely refraining from beating them up. He says, do you think you've kept the fifth commandment if you've refrained from such outward acts? He says, no way, no way. Because this law, like all the law of God, it's aimed at the heart, at the spirit of man. And that's what Jesus is going to unpack with the way that he himself explains the fifth commandment. Meaning that if just because you don't kill someone doesn't mean you kept the commandment. You've got to be able to love your enemy. You've got to be able to turn the other cheek. You've got to be do, you've got to do good unto someone. Well, guess what? <laughs> You're going to be guilty of this over and over and over again. Now, the only problem is oh, time and time again, even within the Lutheranism, it'll be like, okay, you can't, but if you get saved, you can. But I'm telling you, even when you're saved, if you truly compare yourself to the law, you will fall short over and over and over and over and over and over. Therefore, your only hope is in the finished work of Christ, because even as a saved person, you're going to fall short over and over and over again. It has to do with anger. It has to do with hating your brother and your heart. This is what God's after. He wants that rooted out. So he goes to Romans 3.20, through the law comes the knowledge of sin, and he wants to make the point that the law does not produce godliness. Right, right. And <laughs> literally, it does not produce godliness because what it does produce when people really hear it is anger against God or hatred even of him and his law. And this is so important for Christians to understand. The law does not produce godliness. The law produces condemnation. The law may even incite sin. The law may bring about anger, bitterness, 
It does not produce godliness. And we think law, 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 law. What we have to do is, yes, you preach the law to show people their sin. They should be broken. They should be humbled. They should be convicted. But then we give them the gospel. It is the gospel and understanding that you are, even though you are a sinner, you are secure in Christ because Christ kept the law for you out of gratitude and out of love. That's what should motivate godliness. But we think we can just yell and scream at people going, fulfill the law, do the law, do the law, do the law. And that will produce godliness. But it doesn't because we have a sinful nature and the sinful nature is never motivated to do. We, 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 we are never going to get anywhere with just law. You know, Walter's conclusion is, folks, there's nothing pleasant and nothing comforting on Mount Sinai. And he knows that we can't, in our day, reproduce the thunder and the lightning that took place that day, except for in some sort of a spiritual way. But if we do that, if we're able to let the people hear the law in its spiritual impact— that it drives right down to their heart and God's dealing with what they want. He doesn't deal with just with what they do, but with what they want to do. Well, then the law begins to produce its proper effects and, and people will begin to be really angry when they hear the preacher saying these things and they'll get really upset. And he says, when that happens, you know that the law has been preached well. There's an old saying that if you throw a rock into a pack of dogs, the one that yelps is the one that gets hit. So it is with the law. When it goes out in the congregation and somebody yelps, that's the one that that got hit by the law. He paints a vivid picture of Moses and the people of Israel at Mount Sinai. Yeah, they were definitely in terror. They were in fear, Moses included, right? And, And God just speaks the words and the words do the job. Think about words coming from the mouth of pure holiness. There is no sin in him. There is no stain in him. There is just pure, absolute holiness and goodness speaking. And that goodness is then terrifying to poor sinners. He says, yeah, flames of the fire shot skyward. Dense clouds of smoke began to form. A trumpet began to blare and it kept getting louder and louder, hurling its echoes like thunderclaps through the valleys. It started from the sides of the mountain and causing everyone to shake with dread. The climax of it, the whole thing, though, was when Jehovah begins reciting the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt, thou shalt, thou shalt. Moreover, the speaker tells them, I'm a jealous God, and I visit the iniquities of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. Everything in the camp of Israel and its people went to pieces with dread and fright. So, yeah, he's saying, yeah, we, 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 we can't quite reproduce that, that same experience, but we can give people an inner feeling of that quaking, most certainly, when we let them hear those words of demand coming right from the mouth of God himself. Pastor Will. And one of the things that's so weird to me is that many within the church think, teach the Ten Commandments, teach the Ten Commandments. And we teach the Ten Commandments as, here's what you need to do, and you can do it. But what we should do is we teach the Ten Commandments. This is God's standard, and what you should feel is that you can't, and you should be broken, and you should be convicted, and you should then understand your only hope is in the finished work of Jesus Christ. But churches teach the Ten Commandments like, this is what you're supposed to do. Go do it. You can do it. But they can't. 
especially if we understand the full depth of the commandments as expounded by Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. But the church never catches on. We think, oh, it's a law, 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 law. Get people the law, get people the law, and they'll do it. Get people the law. Listen to how churches teach the Ten Commandments. It's like, go do this, do this. Do, and it's all like, here's four steps to do this and three steps to do. It's all, those sermon series are always structured and getting you to do it instead of saying, do you feel condemned? Do you feel helpless? Do you feel hopeless? Christ kept it for you. Now, see, as soon as I say it, people say, so you're telling the people they can live any way they want? No, I'm saying that the reality is they can't keep it and neither can you and neither can me. Whedon is our guest. He hosts the 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study, The Word of the Lord Endures Forever. It's part six of our series with him on the proper distinction between law and gospel. We will come to the objections that are often heard when the law is preached in all its sternness next. See, I told you this is the 100th episode, but it is, we're right in the middle. Ah, yeah. See, I, I knew, I knew, I knew it was going to end way too briefly, but there, there is their commentary and their discussion on the sixth thesis of God's knowing God's yes by CFW Walther as we continue our uh, trying to understand the proper distinction between law and gospel. This has been the 100th episode. I, I told you it, it's not a turning point. It's nothing special, but it does represent that if you've been with us the entire time, you've heard 100 hours of teaching on this. And I hope, I truly hope that it has been helpful and it's been beneficial. And I'm hoping you're getting better when you're reading your Bible. You're like, that's law, that's law, that's law, that's law, that condemns. I can't. Okay, the gospel and the gospel Christ did. I hope when you hear sermons and they handle a passage of scripture and they preach the law almost like you can do it or should, you, you, I hope you know the distinction and you can hear it and you can draw that distinction and you understand how to handle it correctly because there is so much mishandling of God's word because for the most part, the not, the, 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 evangelical, the non-Catholic world has obliterated the proper distinction between law and gospel. What was so important in the Reformation has been lost in the church today. We have, we just, we're law-minded, we're law-based, and we don't handle it even in our hermeneutic and how to interpret the passages. Oh, that's a law passage. That's a law passage. No, 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 no. We handle law passages almost as if they're gospel passages and almost as if we can actually do them and obey them, which the reality is we will always fall short when we take our actions and compare it to God's standard. All right. I, oh, see, I knew I, knew I shouldn't have done the, I, I was so conflicted. Do I do the epic theme music? I mean, it is the hundredth episode, so I guess I had to, but I told you it was just going to be kind of a normal episode, but plenty for you there to think about. Let me know what you think. Newsif at yahoo.com. That's newsif at yahoo.com. And because it is the 100th episode, I guess we will end this with our epic theme music. God bless. 